This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Back in the saddle. Welcome back. It's Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on One Bills Live. I guess oh, I'm, wel- oh. I guess I'm wel- welcoming us back. Our our listening audience didn't They're go probably, anywhere. They, they haven't gone anywhere. Yeah, I mean, unless they Hopefully. went on a maybe they went on a camping <laughs> trip or a summer if vacation. Left. They might have all left and said they're not on anymore. Yeah, right. Well, if Western or, New York looks anything like this building, I mean, it is still <laughs> vacant. <laughs> it is still a ghost town here because people are getting their last they're, bits of vacation in before training and camp. And they're doing some stuff around the field house here too. They're they're, they're sprucing it up a little bit here and there. They do that because the place is like we said empty. Yeah. And uh, so we're. Just in that last little, before we shift gears, and it's like all yeah. hands on deck. Let's go! Um, speaking of that, though, Steve and I are sitting at our desks today. It's about an hour ago. And all of a sudden, there's this rumble, like earthquake-like. Big. But very sudden and very short. Very big, yeah. And Steve gives me this look like, what in the heck was that? And fortunately... My short-term memory was good enough where I had recalled that we were told a few weeks back that over the next period of weeks, they were going to be doing blasting across the street to break up the shale and the, you know, the ground on which the new stadium will sit because it's going to sit 34 feet into the earth. The Highmark Stadium's like double that, 64 feet down. This right. is only going to be half of that to build all the concrete foundation necessary to support the structure, et cetera, et cetera. So they're blasting to, to speed up the process. Now, Steve and I are both off last week. The show goes dark. We weren't here. We didn't hear any blasting of any kind, nor did we probably remember it initially. So Steve looks at me and goes, what was that? I said, go check. See if it was a blast. So we go running out he ran to out the front like, of the field house. Steve's like, like a six-year-old. Like, where's, the, where's the cloud of dust? We're like kids trying to catch a home run, right? You're like running around looking through the fence, right? And sure enough, big, big cloud. Big cloud of smoke over there. They, it was sure yeah, enough, they're, they were blasting. They're dropping what? the dynamite. It's getting close. I got to say. We'll like, be in that building before you know it. So I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have three years is before you know it. Right. I... I rem- I was just thinking to myself driving out here today, you know, I hadn't been down Abbott Road in two weeks. So coming back, or one week, so coming, or 10 days, whatever. The same so thing, coming yeah. down, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'll notice, like, <laughs> progress, a difference. Yeah. They've done a lot of digging. Yeah. There yeah. are, like, big old piles it of dirt over like there. like a strip mine over there. It's so <laughs> a big. A quarry. I mean, it is huge. <laughs> they got a hole dug. It's vast. Yeah, they're going. And it looks vast. And it's, I'm looking down and goes, is, is that a pickup down there? Yeah, sure enough, there's a little, you know. It looks it tiny. It really looks like, it, it looks like yeah. a little teeny tiny truck. But if you drive down Abbott Road, while there is no structure of any kind there yet, I think the one thing you could get a feel for just looking at the site with the hole that's been dug to this point, you can get a feel for the size of the footprint of what the stadium will be, and it is it's massive. It's big. It's it's like 50% bigger than the old one, right? At, I think they said one and a half times yeah. the square footage. Yeah. Yeah, it's big. So almost twice the size. 50% bigger than it was. And it's, you know, contained. I mean, it's going to be unbelievable. Yeah. Really nice. So it was it was a jolt, but, you know, the you know the cloud the cloud does dissipate it in short order. I'd so, you know, I don't think we have any other blasts on the schedule today, but who's to know? Maybe they hit another one later on. Yeah, we'll, yeah. 
Well, you know if it happens. Yeah, <laughs> we'll feel you, it. You may hear it because we felt it on the on we the heard it, on yeah. the floor. Like when they had when they had uh, I don't know it was uh, six or eight months ago. I couldn't. I can be honest. When they had the earthquake in Turkey that came through. Oh yeah, yeah, that? yeah. That's right. It was. It felt very much like that. I mean, it was very fast and very rumbled through here, and it just kind of rumbled across. And it was like, man, oh man. But it was something. Oh, yeah, you knew. It wasn't yeah. like the building settling because it was cooling off or something like that. It was like, <laughs> boom. So, yeah, we're going to be – we're gonna. I going to have to get used to that for a minute. Yeah. I mean, how long how much is it going to blast, right? Yeah, I don't – yeah, I'm not – I'm far from a construction expert, but I suppose if they get to a trouble spot and they need to kind of loosen up the – the ground they'll do it again i wonder if they know already where they're going to have to blast they probably I, did a bunch of i'm sure they did all that kind of hocus pocus geology stuff <laughs> hocus pocus geology <laughs> like it's a fictitious it's like magic like it's, <laughs> it's like the guy's gonna go out there with a little stick a little stick and a y like a divining rod and he's gonna walk around real slow oh, he might have to blast here he might have to blast there yeah steve has turned geology like into a fictitious discipline or by calling it hocus pocus hocus pocus <laughs> and then, it's only because i don't understand it which is which is 95 percent of what goes on in my world uh, i'm pretty sure that was good they gotta they gotta know what's over there right they're gonna we should be able to get a handle on how much they're gonna blast this sounds yeah, to me we just, like we just don't have the itinerary or the agenda, we're, right? We're not privy to that. We, yeah. I just, I'll bet we like, could ask John Polka. He would probably know. I'm probably, sh- yeah. Could you imagine our response if if you and I like locked arms, walked in there and said we would like? Can you a give us a rundown? A rundown, of- a day by day schedule, so we can talk about it. They'd be like, "What? <laughs> Get out of Get here! Get out! <laughs> yeah, go back to your hole." I would fully expect that. <laughs> Crawl back under the rock that you do your show from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In case you're wondering, Bill's training camp begins, or maybe you forgot, or you know, you're doing your summer stuff and it's not really on your radar yet. Bill's training camp will begin on Wednesday, July 26th at St. John Fisher. Two weeks That's from the, Wednesday. The first day of practice. Rookies they actually the have to re- Yeah, rookies have to report on the 18th. Yeah, but they'll be here. Yeah, they will be here first. Yes, right. you are and right that, about and that. And then the 25th. Veterans report, which means over at St. John Fisher yeah, on that they'll Tuesday. Just drive up. A week from t- two weeks from tomorrow, they all get there. Mm-hmm. And they get in, and they, you'll, have, you'll see the obligatory pictures of guys carrying in air conditioners and blankets mattresses and stuff, and mattresses and stuff. And then the next day, it's game on, bro. And that's, you know, you can imagine, people out there listening, I mean, you can imagine what it's like around here once they start practicing. In, in, in some ways, it's very familiar to all of us, but man, oh man, it's a big gear shift. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, it's all hands on deck here for the next six months, and it's like, it's it's pretty exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun, particularly this year. Yeah. So we eagerly await that, and we'll get to our topic of discussion, which has something to do with the team as well on the defensive side of the ball. We'll let you know what that is very shortly, but it's time for us to go around. The NFL brought to you by Kaleida Health, the official health care provider of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin with one Denver running back, Javante Williams, who missed just about all the 2022 season with a torn ACL, says he's going to be ready for training camp. And and I got to tell you, Steve, the Broncos better hope so. I took a look at their depth chart the other day. All they've got behind him is Samaje Pirine, who, as we know, was the former number two running back to Joe Mixon in Cincinnati, signs with Denver in free agency. 
there's just some unproven other guys behind those two on the depth chart. So they, they must be resolutely positive that he's going to be back to normal or very close to it because it's a lot of eggs to put in one basket for your run game. Yeah, uh, I mean, I get it, too. It's a passing league, but still. I mean, even the bill, the Bills went out and got two. Well, actually, got three, if you count the trade for uh, last year. Oh, Naheem Hines. Naheem, bringing him in. They, they wanted to bolster that. Then they brought in Harris and everybody. I mean, it's it's going to be crazy. So, we'll see what happens, but it's – I just don't see too many teams outside of like Tennessee or the Giants throwing in, you know, all their eggs into those baskets. You know, yeah, it's a little bit. It's getting to be a little bit like I I don't want to. I don't want to belittle the the position, but we've there's been a lot of media attention to the running back position, right? About how it's disrespected, devalued, devalued, underpaid, this, that, and the other. There's reasons for it. There's reasons for it. The game's moving away from it. Right. At the same time, though, knowing knowing the proliferation of committee backfields and knowing the history of a lot of players, how many, I'm not going to pretend to know, a lot of players aren't quite right that first year back from ACL surgery. Right. I think Tredavious White would even say he didn't feel the same last year, and he didn't get back till after thanks till Thanksgiving. He went a full calendar year. Javante Williams will be very close to that as well, and he wasn't quite himself. He certainly looks that now. Watching him in the spring practices here, does Javante he Williams look different. like that right now? I would almost think he has to, because they don't have really anybody else besides Samaj P. Ryan of any proven value in the NFL on their roster at the running back position. So, you know, you, I just think about committee backfields and how many of those there are around the league. I mean, more than half the league think, has committee backfields. They have these two guys. Yeah, you can think, too. Think back around the over the decades, and, and an old guy like me, it's easier for us to do this. You look back, and it used to be quarterback, fullback, tailback. Then, think about it. It was full. It was quarterback, Nickel, like a third receiver on third down. Yeah, yeah. Quarterback, three wides, and a running back. Now it's rare that you have anything except a single back. And if there's a second guy in the backfield, it's a slot receiver or or a tight tight end end in motion. You never have a two running back backfield unless it's a shotgun formation and you've got two guys that can go that are running back slash receiver guys. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got an Alvin Kamara and a James Cook, back there you may put those guys back there because then you could run all that but the game has gone from having two guys in there all the time and a tight end to two guys a quarterback and a running back and a receiver and now you get to the point where you don't have a guy that you really want to hand it off to you want a guy that can catch right so it's going to continue to go that direction yeah you're going to have running backs that you're going to have wide receivers that now will take that's my next cap my next step, I think, in the evolution. You're going to okay. have guys like Debo Samuel, wide receiver slash running back instead of running back slash wide receiver. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're going to have guys like that. You're going to get to this point, and we've talked about it defensively. It's going to be a positionless game. You're going to have athletes on offense, the guys that are eligible receivers, and then the quarterback. And then you're going to have defenders who can play 
man-on-man zone run stuff and drop into coverage. They won't, they won't be linebackers, safeties, any of that stuff. They'll have you know, the front four and seven other guys who can line up wherever they need to line up. It's getting more and more versatile, and you get, you're asking these guys to do more and more with their skill sets. Yeah, I get it. So, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying this you know, with P. Ryan and these guys that it's going to be already happening, but I think it's certainly a symptom of it. Yeah, I just, I just feel like they are counting on him in a way that maybe I didn't expect, yeah. you know, coming off the ACL. But I guess there are but there's no guarantees with anybody. That's you think on your about roster. it though. That's the one position you can get you can get good real You'll quick. You find a body. Yeah, and, uh, I get it. a guy off the street right now is not it's not a drop off like it would be a wide receiver. Speaking of which, Dalvin Cook is still a free agent as we speak. And think about that. And a Jets reporter asked Cook's agent, "Hey, do you think the Jets are picking up steam as a team?" that Cook would be interested in. And his agent apparently didn't deny it, lending credence to the fact that the Jets are, in fact, interested in Cook or that Cook is interested in the Jets. So Cook has gone on record saying he wants to win a Super Bowl, and his agent has kind of made it very clear that he feels he could win one if he was on the same team as Aaron Rodgers. Um, where well, does that go? I don't know. Clearly, yeah. no team that has expressed an interest in Dalvin Cook has impressed him with a contract offer because if they did, he would have signed it. And that yeah. was the word out of Miami. Like, he was not bowled over by their offer and said, yeah, you know what, I'm going to wait. Yeah, think about Dalvin Cook. He, if he says, if you say, well, we've got Aaron Rodgers, how many times has Aaron Rodgers caved in the Minnesota Vikings when Dalvin Cook was there? I mean, that he knows how good Aaron is. He lo- he's got a being in that division for his for his career thus far, he's got to say, "Yeah, I'll take a shot with Aaron Rodgers. Let me be on his team for a change." I, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if he doesn't sign until after training camp starts. Because when do when does a guy like Dalvin Cook get even more leverage when there's an injury to a number one back somewhere, and now it's like, "Oh my God, we need somebody." But, oh my God, Dalvin yeah. Cook's available. Well, say if, yeah, if Brees Hall comes back and isn't quite right. Or because of well, his, yeah, that's another. Or because round. of his knee, or because of Brees Hall's knee injury, he comes out and snaps a hamstring on the other leg. Which you know, that's, that kind of stuff happens when they start. Yeah. You can train as hard as you want, but when the when push comes to shove and training camp starts, and you really feel like you got to play hard and play well to make the team and all that, and your adrenaline takes over, something else breaks because you're unbalanced because of your knee surgery. Something like that happens in one of these teams out there. Yeah, that's when. You're exactly right. That's when Dalvin Cook says, okay, now what are you going to give me? And the price goes up. Yeah. And, and you wonder if DeAndre Hopkins is waiting and hoping for something similar. But both of those guys, super talented players, biding their time, and both of them may wait until camp already opens around the league. And it's crazy to think that's the way players of that yeah. caliber go now, but that's where we are. Yeah, and I'll say this too. It, it, it takes a veteran mentality to be out there and ha- you have to have good representation, guys you trust as well, who have their finger on the pulse of some GMs and some scouts and some atmosphere. The atmosphere in the league is to say, listen, whoa, whoa, we don't, no, don't take that. Even if they've gotten an offer, say, nah, nah, nah don't take that. that wait, until, wait until somebody really needs you. The price will go up. That's, that's what an agent can do for you. He can get you on the phone and calm you down because, believe me, DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, you want someplace Dalvin, to work. Yeah, you're un- you feel unemployed. 
that, forget about, yeah, it's free agency. All right, let's go. Well, you know what? You ain't got a job. So <laughs> you really got to have some, some courage to sit out there and just play it cool, keep working out hard without really knowing where it's going to be for, who it's going to be for. It, it's, it's a tough spot for those guys. But you and I both know, I, believe, I think this, and I'll, I'll let you yeah. say yourself, those guys are going to play this year. They're yeah. going to play somewhere. They are not going to be. You can't sit out if you're DeAndre Hopkins. You're too old. You need to come in and play. And Dalvin Cook, there's no way you can waste a year of your life as a running back not being in the league. So both of them are going to play somewhere. You just got to have the courage and the patience to say, all right, I'm just going to sit and wait because it's hard. Oh, my gosh, is that hard. Yeah. No word as to whether Tristan Wirfs has a copy of the official Tasker plan, but the Bucks' left tackle is advocating for an extra bye week for the NFL regular season. In a recent interview, he expressed his concern about the toll that the extended regular season now takes on players' bodies now that they play 17 games regular season instead of 16 and firmly stated the need for an additional week of rest. This was his direct quote. There is a difference between going from 16 games to 17 games. We need an extra bye week. I personally don't believe that happens until the league makes a switch from three preseason games and 17 regular season to two preseason and 18 regular season. When we get to the 18-game regular season, I think that's when the extra bye week comes into play. Here's- but – there is the Tasker plan, which has which been voiced is, on this very show before. For, for a couple of years now, I've been saying it. And let me just say, in, in all humility, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. The, the, the NFL season should start exactly when it does. They're going to report in a couple of weeks to St. John Fishing around the country. Everybody opens up um, the second or third week of July. Ten days to two weeks of practice. Preseason game, preseason game, and then, boom, two regular season games. Everybody, jump in, opening day, two regular season games, and then the entire league takes a, a week off for Labor Day. Mm. Just give the whole league away. you got training camp, you got two regular season games, getting settled in. Now take every, everybody takes a week off. And then you come back after Labor Day and, boom, diggity, you take up regular 16-game schedule with a bye week sprinkled in for the rest next eight. or You play them for another month, four more weeks, and then you start sprinkling in 10 weeks of the bye. It, through the eight or 10 weeks subsequent to that, Yeah, you sprinkle in the bye weeks, and then you go. And It's 18 games. You get two bye weeks because everybody gets the, two, the week off for Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And then everybody goes on 16 games after that. And that way the, the Super Bowl's not played in March, you know, Kind of thing, right? So that's that's the perfection of the Tasker plan. Should happen. I'm telling you, we got to get somebody on the horn. Maybe get Troy Vincent on the phone. Give him a jingle. And say, hey, Steve's got the Tasker just, plan. Yeah, because if you add an extra re- another another regular season game, just chop up the preseason. Give them two re- two preseason games. Right. Get them started, and that's so it's the same amount of games. Yeah, it's still twenty total. Still twenty total games. Just one more of them counts. Right. And then you get an extra week off as well. It's brilliant. It's just, I amaze myself. <laughs> I'm, 
I am equally amazed. I, yes, you're um, equally amazed at my ability to be amazed at myself. <laughs> uh, former NFL GM Michael Lombardi, recently on the Pat McAfee show, said the Rams, to his knowledge, attempted to, quote, with a lot of effort, trade Matthew Stafford. The problem was whatever team acquired him had to absorb Stafford's $59 million hit on the cap this year. So not surprisingly, no one was interested. But I think it does underline, Steve, the Rams' cap issues that they're still trying to navigate right now. I mean, earlier this offseason, they traded Allen Robinson to the Steelers for nothing, like a pair of seventh-round picks, and took a $10 million cap hit to do it. Like, let's take a $10 million cap hit now so we don't have to take a $30 million cap hit next year. Right. Like it's a preemptive move to try to get their cap situation better than it is. They've got problems. And, you know, I remember when the Rams won the Super Bowl, people were knocking the Bills and Brandon Bean. They were saying, hey, they should just go for it like the Rams did. At least you won one. Uh, look at where the Rams are now. What were they, a five-win team well, last and, year? And, and I'll say this, too. There's no guarantee. That what if the Rams – what if it goes belly up for the Rams? I'm, here's the thing, and, and I've said it a thousand times, and nobody – it really is. It's the ugly truth. The ugly truth is you don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. The Bills have got a shot at it. The Bengals got a shot at it. The Chiefs got a shot at it. The Eagles got a shot to get back there. The Niners got a shot at it. Everybody else is kind of like really big question marks that they got to – they may catch lightning in a bottle, but those are the teams. You know, know, Baltimore comes back with Deshaun healthy – or I'm sorry, Lamar healthy – uh, all of this stuff needs you, – you don't know, but you know there's a handful of teams that are good enough to get there. Any one of those teams that got a legit shot to get there because they're good enough and they have been good enough and they're going to be good enough if they stay healthy. Yeah. To say the Rams did it and that's the way you got it, that's, that's bunk. That's not true. Just because it worked for the Rams doesn't mean it'll work for everybody else. It You know – the Saints have tried to do that. Now, they won one early on, but it was early in their process, and now they're stuck. They're still stuck. They can't, get, they can't make it happen. And the simple fact of the matter is all you got to do to win the Super Bowl is be good enough to get in the playoffs and play well on the day your season's on the line. Yep. No, you don't have to play well. Just play better than those guys over there. You just got to play better than those guys on that day and do it three weeks in a row or four weeks if you're a wild card. Right. And just do – that's how you got to do it. But I think this is one of the main reasons why we see Brandon Bean take on the approach of staying cap strong perennially so the team team still has the ability to contend each year rather than run at it one year and hope they cash in. You know what I mean? Right. That's essentially what the Rams did. It worked, and that's great for them. They got a title out of it. But they're not reaping any benefits now. Right. I mean, now they're like, oh, man. And you'll have – and I get it. Think about it, Steve. I mean, it's Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, and a bunch of guys. Yeah, and I get it, too. There's no Jalen Ramsey. There's no Von Miller. There's no Leonard Floyd. There's no guarantees. And I get it. And a lot of people would sign up for it. Probably a lot of people would sign up for it. Listen, you give me one, and I'll give you – However long you negotiate, you know, whatever, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years without winning another one. or We're not having a chance to win another one. Yeah. Just give me one. There's a lot of people who sign up for that. Yeah. Unfortunately, not unfortunately, but the way it really works is 
you got a group here in Buffalo, they're going to take a swing at it every single year. As long as they got 17 taking snaps, they're going to put guys around him to get in the mix and have right. a shot at it every single year. And they're going to they're going to be competitive every year and and get if they get one, they may get two. They may get more. That kind of thing. That's where they're at. And you can say until, and until they win one, that's always going to be the knock on. That's the same knock that the teams that I was on. Right. You, I can say whatever I want as an old guy and all that, and everybody always comes back with, hey, you never won one, right? And I get that. But the simple fact that matters, the truth of it is, <laughs> they're good enough, and they have been good enough. Yeah, for the last three years. They just got to get there. Last year, they were abs- they sabotaged. They, yeah. they got to the end of the season. They had nothing left to give. They're, they were wrung out by injuries and the, and the emotions of the season and the tragedies that the city and the – and the weather that the city endured and all the stuff that they went through and yada, 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 on down the line. The teammates' teammates' death and, and coming back and being resuscitated. The brother of a, team, of a member of your team died, passed away. You know, stuff like, you know, some big stuff. Serious stuff. So, and then not to mention they had four star players on their defense out in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, injuries are one thing. You know, everybody gets injuries. But man, oh, man. So uh, injuries plus all the other stuff, you know, last year was not their year. Even when it looked at this time last year, it looked like it was going to be. Yeah. So we'll see. But uh, you can't get caught up in the recency bias and the um, instant gratification that the culture is preaching to you right now. Mm-hmm. you gotta, you got to be there, give yourself a chance every single year. And I'm, you'll see it happen once in a while. Like like last year with Philly. I mean, they were good. I thought, okay, we'll see Jalen Hurts. I don't know. We'll see about – if that team's good enough, you got to know you are too. you got to know it. Mm-hmm. you got to know it. With all the question marks they had going into this – now, certainly they got a great roster and around it, but they didn't know anything about their quarterback. you just got to be confident that you're going to be in the conversation. And as long as you can – if you can stay healthy, oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. You know, this team, it, it, it's – we've been there. We've been there. And I think they're going to get there again, and we'll see. Speaking of conversation, we have a topic of conversation for you today to get on board at 803-0550, Who is the most important Bills defensive player for the 2023 season? I think there are a lot of options here, quite frankly, that you can make a good argument for for a number of different reasons. So you tell us, who is the most important Bills defensive player for the 2023 season? On the defensive side of the ball, we're talking today. We want your comments on that very subject. Open lines for you at 803-0550, the numbers to get on board. Otherwise, you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at one Bills Live. Does a, num- does a name, Steve, jump out to you? Any, like... Oh man, this guy's better lighted up this. Well, year. here's the thing. I, um, if this defense is gonna do what we think, there's a couple can. of ways you can look at it. One is: is there a guy you got to depend on to be good? And and there's always guys like that. But I think there's certain guys you know are gonna show. You know exactly what you're getting, particularly with the vet, veterans. Like I think Tre'Davious White, Hayden Poyer, Taron Johnson. You know, I think the the key guy might be Kyrie Elam or. Christian Benford. Whoever the second corner the is. The second corner is. If you can get a guy in there that all absolutely locks it down, if Kyrie Elam lives up to his physical gifts, 
and his work ethic, and if he starts to click for him, this defense becomes exponentially better. Exponentially better because all of a sudden now you got two corners on the outside with and Von Miller in them, you know, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, and Rousseau. Uh, you're looking pretty good along and with Milano as well. You got a group of guys that can really go. Uh, if Elam takes a step forward and becomes the kind of player that we think he has the potential to be. Man, oh man, I I think. Well, this now you have two lockdown corners. Yeah, I because I I yes because and now teams having are... said that, I take it for granted that we've seen we've seen Tre'Davious out here, and he looks like to Tre'Davious from two years he ago. He looks like all pro Trey. He looks he looks stellar. I mean, he's back to his old personality. He's happy. He's laughing and joking around. He's you know he's every time you see him, he's in a full sweat. I mean, the guy's working hard in in. OTAs in the minicamp practices, he is 100% all the time, and, and you can tell. So I, you kind of take that, and I, I set it to the side. It's like he's there. So th- it becomes something that may be add additional to the defense that they haven't had in the past, and I think it might be Kair. Christian Benford certainly came in and played well last year and, and made his mark. I think Kair Elam might be a guy who mm. who could be one of those pieces that – Puts when, the defense over the top. Yes, when he, when you put him in place in that puzzle, all of a sudden you see the whole picture, and it's and I think it could wow. be really good. You know? A good case made there by Steve. We have to take a break, but when we come back, it's your phone calls coming up. PTO in Lackawanna will lead us off, but we have open lines for you at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Who do you believe is the most important Bills defensive player for the 2023 season. Your phone call's next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on a Monday as we're just over two weeks away from the first practice of training camp. Getting pretty exciting, getting pretty pumped. But let's get to the phones as we are asking you today, who's the most important Bills defensive player for this 2023 season coming up? We go to the phones, and as promised, we lead off with PTO and Lackawanna. What do you got, PTO? I'm right here. What's up, you guys? How's, How's it doing? Going? All right. Yeah, I heard y'all was talking about that um, the salary cap thing. I'm about to comment on that. Go okay, ahead. yeah. You know, and, and my um, – let's say this is Golden State Warriors. They always over the salary cap. They win championships. I think if the Bills don't go, the teams in the AFC East, they may go. The Jets got Rodgers. Miami got Jalen Ramsey. We got to make a move. We trying to get us a Super Bowl. Yeah. I think in most sports. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. In most sports, to win your championship, it seems to me you have to go over the salary cap. And why the Bills ain't really ain't ready to do that just a little bit. I ain't saying get into no big, big debt, but a little bit. I mean, here's the thing, PTO, and here's here's one of the problems, and not 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 to discredit you, you're right. Um, you got to spend money to win, no, no question about it. But here's the thing. The Bills are number two in the league in cash out this year. They're number two in the league. So they're, they're doing it. 
they've got more cash on the table this year. Now, it doesn't all count against the cap, but they spend as much money as any team in the league this year. So they're doing that. The question is, can they structure it within the rules of the salary cap to do it year after year after year after year? Now, they're going to be pretty good this next year, although they got a ton of guys who are going to be out of contract. So a lot of this money that they're paying this year is coming off the books yeah. after the season's over because they got a lot of one-year contracts, mm-hmm. got some guys coming off uh, the end of their contracts, all of that kind of stuff. So all that's happening. But the Bills are spending money. They're spending money like nobody's been. And they're, like I said, I think there's only one team in the league that has more cash out this year than the Bills. So the, the misnomer that the Bills don't spend to do it or don't make any moves, don't believe it. Leonard Floyd is a great get for them, a great get. Dalton Kincaid is a great get for them, and he's a draft pick, no question. About it. But still, don't think – and Jalen Ramsey going to the Miami Dolphins, that's fine. The Dolphins have been boasting really two good corners for a long time. They really feel like that's the thing. It doesn't help them against our guys. Two corners ain't going to get it done against the Bills. So, you're, you know, the Bills got three, four, maybe five, five, all the way down to Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, Kyrie Elam, Tredavious White, and Taron Johnson. They've all got a lot of reps especially with Kyrie Elam and Benford coming back now this year. So you can say what you want about Jalen Ramsey's of the world and Aaron Rodgers. Certainly that's a big move for the Jets, and it may help them. It should. It better. It, they, it, it can't help but help them. But they got a long way to go to catch this wrecking crew at one Bills drive. Because this team is better at, of the 22 starting positions, they're better at 21 of them than they were a year ago if you count Josh Allen getting better after a year. The only one you can make a case for is maybe Tremaine Edmonds. Yep. And you can we'll de- And that's we'll, a question mark. And we'll decide, we'll decide if there's a drop off between Tremaine Edmonds and Dodson or Specter or uh, Bernard. Bernard whoever. We'll see we'll see what that drop off is. But that's it. 21 other spots they got better. And and like you said to your point, they paid money to do it. Yeah. Let's go back to the phones and see who you think is the most important Bills defensive player for the 2023 season. To Tom in Youngstown next. What do you got for us, Tom? Hey, guys. I'm going to – excuse me. I think the question is who could the Bills afford to lose the least on the defense? And to me, there's no doubt it's Matt Milano. Mm. With Edmonds gone and the way Milano plays, I think he's the most important guy because he's the guy we could least afford to lose. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, a good way to look at it. Yeah, I like that argument, Tom. He was a name that came to mind for me, not only because of his own playmaking ability, but because of the way that whoever the starting middle linebacker is is going to have to kind of come along and grow into that role and may need some extra support from Milano at that second level in terms of pre-snap checks, getting everybody lined up, at least in the early going, because – the general consensus is that whoever the starting middle linebacker is is going to be a young player because right now I think as much respect as I and a lot of people have for A.J. Klein's abilities, I think for the most part he's an insurance policy in case none of these young guys shows the metal to handle all the responsibilities of the starting middle linebacker position in Sean McDermott's defense. So just putting him on the side for now – 
Terrell Bernard, Tyrell Dotson, Balin Spector, Dorian Williams, the rookie. Out of that pool, no one is proven as a starting caliber player in this league. So, yes, because of Milano's playmaking ability, he's important. But because of that guy having to get his feet under him and settled into the role at the same level of defense where Milano plays, I think, makes Milano's presence and play yeah. important as well. And we always, you know, hear people who listen to the show know I'm, I'm Mr. I'm poly positive over here, right? I, I, <laughs> I see things Polly good. Positive. And here's the thing. It was hard for anybody to get on the field for us to evaluate how good they could possibly be. The only time Dodson ever saw the field is when Tremaine, when the game we were up, you know, 32 points, you know, it's, it's 31 to 10 in the opening weekend of the season uh-huh. against the Rams. And, you know, now these other guys are playing and, and Tremaine's off the field. Nobody was playing ahead of Tremaine Edmonds. Nobody was getting any meaningful snaps in the five years he was here with the Buffalo Bills. Nobody. Didn't miss too many games. So we don't know what Dodson can do in a, in a game, you know, in a month of playing. Or right? in crunch time. We like don't know what. Games on the line. We don't know what Bernard can do. We don't know what Balin Spector can do. None of these guys was ever going to get on the field as a middle linebacker, you know, as the Mike linebacker in the Bills defense when Tremaine Edmonds was on the field or even on the practice field. We don't know. So if you look at it like that, we may have a guy that one of these guys could really be a really good player. And we don't even know it because there's no way we're going to find out until Tremaine's out of the way. That's the positive way to look at it. And certainly you've got to think with the way this coaching staff and this leadership is structured here in Buffalo, whoever gets that spot is going to be better in week four than they were in week one. They're going to be better in week eight than they were in week four and so on and so forth. That's just the way this whole place is structured. You get better and you grow, and you got to get better. Um, and these guys that are coming back now after their rookie, a guy like Spectre coming back after a rookie season, and Bernard, uh, i got to think those guys are going to take a step forward, particularly mm-hmm. since they're going to get a lot more meaningful reps during practice and preseason and in games perhaps as well in the early going. Um, so, I, as, you know, as, as sorry as I was to see Tremaine Edmonds go, I have a hard time seeing a cliff – in his at off, you know, going that position going off a cliff in his absence. Yeah. Back to the phones and to Alex in Pittsburgh. What do you got for us, Alex? Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'm a big fan. All y'all, all y'all here in uh, Pittsburgh. I'm really excited for the move that that Bean has made, especially on the defensive front. I'm really excited about um, Ford from Seattle. I can't remember how you say his first name. Puna Ford. Yeah. Yes, correct. And and also um, the kid from Leonard Floyd from. Uh, the Rams, yeah, from LA. And, and once one Miller's healthy, they'll be rotating as guys. And I have faith in all of our entire back back into that defense. And once uh, once Miller's healthy, he said he might be healthy early. But that, I think that's going to be a scary looking defensive line. And I also have a question, guys, about uh, Taylor Rapp. Like I know uh, Hyde and Poyer are obviously healthy. Do you think he'll see much of the field when those two guys are healthy? And I'll just hang up and listen to what you have to say. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, it's an interesting question, Alex. One we don't have a definitive answer to yet. But I will say this. Time and again, we hear this coaching staff say, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams, the best 11 are going to play. And I think you could find a pretty easy path to convincing yourself that Taylor Rapp is one of the 11 best defenders on the roster. And there may be a way – to get him on the field. And some of us have speculated, and this is just speculation. It's not because we saw anything out on a practice field anywhere this spring because we had limited looks at it. But 
knowing the talent that Rap is, knowing the effusive praise that he has gotten from Sean McDermott, I think <laughs> this coaching staff believes he can help their defense. And so even in an instance where Poyer and Hyde, let's just say hypothetically, are healthy for all 17 games in the playoffs, I think they find a way to get him on the field, whether it's a three-safety look, whether it's, if it's as a hybrid linebacker, whether it's a package of plays. I think his talent is too readily apparent to keep him off the field. And so I, I would trust that this defensive staff, along with head coach Sean McDermott, will devise a way to get him on the field and allow him to make an impact on this defense. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Browning. I think you could see a for, uh, foresee a situation right out of the gate where and I we haven't like I said I we haven't watched practice or anything but I'm just you know you if you know Tremaine Edmonds is not there that you get feel like you got to put him on the field and keep him on the field all of a sudden Matt Milano moves to the mic in a passing in like, like in third and seven plus mm. situation Milano goes to the mic backer Rap comes in at the wheel backer as a coverage guy or a blitzer or whatever you want to call it and you play your defense like that with Taron Johnson you know Elam and and uh, White at the corners with the two safeties, Hyde and Poyer. And you it's got pretty three, good. three safeties with Milano. Yeah, it's like a dime look. Three safeties, three corners, and, and there you go. Uh, and situational football like that. Um, I don't know if they'll do that. And I don't, know what, I don't even know what McDermott's philosophy is. right? Because you know, he, if he's got a well, philosophy, yeah. he won't go against it. That's right. But I think he is willing to adapt and change if he believes it benefits the overall play of the defense. I mean, right. Time and again, there is a long track record here of him doing the thing that is best for the team, not for right. an individual player, not for a side of the ball. If it benefits the team's overall opportunity to win football games, he will make the change. And if you go back to his time as D.C. in Carolina, there, there are some instances in which he used three safety looks. So I, I think there's a very good chance that Taylor Rapp finds his way on the field in this defense in some capacity, even if Hyde and Poyer are healthy. we got to take a break here, but Edric in New Jersey, John in South Buffalo, hang tight. We'll get to you when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and discussing who you believe is the most important defensive player for the Bills in 2023. We get right back to the phones, and we go to Edric down in New Jersey. What do you got for us, Edric? Hey, what's up, gentlemen? How are you? I'm going to go off a little off topic, and I'm so sorry. Right. Uh, I saw the time. I've been meeting the call. I've been chopping at the bits of call. i I, I, I got to say my piece about Sean McDermott. Um, you guys uh, – had long talks before you went on the hiatus for your little vacation. Um, and I was listening to, you know, it playing back because I, I don't get to listen to it live. And, and, and guys, um, I want to preface this, my, my Sean McDermott speech here, by saying I, I think Sean McDermott's a good coach. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I, I think Sean McDermott wins games. I mean, our, our record proves it. Um, but my question now, after each and every playoff loss, is can Sean McDermott get us over the hump to win a Super Bowl, which is the goal. I mean, that's what we want to win. Uh, yeah, making the playoffs is great. I mean, I'm all about winning championships, especially when you have what I feel is one of the best losses in the NFL. Um, 
and now I, I'm going to give you this comparison. I hope you give me some time. When you watch quarterbacks play the quarterback position, you just tell when someone has it or they don't, right? It's easy. You, you can just tell. You know, you watch Josh, and you're like, man, Josh has got it. As you would know, Chris, you don't think too high of Dak Prescott. Zach is a good quarterback, right? But we all see it. He just doesn't have it. Kirk Cousins just doesn't have it. Now, when I watch Sean McDermott, you tell me you don't see the difference between Sean McDermott and Kyle Shanahan, between Sean McDermott and Sean McVay and Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, and heck, I'll even put Doug Peterson out there. There's just a difference, just like you see in quarterbacks. You see it. I mean, it's there. I think right now we have the Kirk Cousins of coaching right now. I think we have Dak Prescott. Yeah, it's a good coach. But, man, are we going to win a championship with Dak Prescott or with, or with Kirk Cousins? Um, you know, and, and, and that's my fear right now. I think this is a big year for Coach McDermott, uh, um, not only because we've progressed every year in the playoffs. Um, not only have we been outcoached, and, guys, there's no doubt about it, we have been outcoached. Every playoff loss, we have been outcoached. You know, Russ Tucker, he made these rankings the other, a few months ago with coaching. He had Sean McDermott real down there, and, and a lot of people were surprised and they were a little irked. Even I was. But, man, when you heard him explain himself, Russ Tucker made a lot of, lot of good points. Um, listen, I'm not firing Sean McDermott just for the heck of it. Um, but I think Pagula is going to have to take a big, a long look a few years, maybe next year or this year. It's a big year for Sean McDermott. Um, I think Sean McDermott wants to run the ball. I think he wants two tight ends. I think he's finally going to have that. Guys, I think if he doesn't win the way he wants to win, I think some answers have, you know, some questions will have to be answered, and Pagula is going to have to take a big, hard look at himself. And I just want to get your thoughts on that. I think I made some good points. I'm not just talking as angry or – I think my points are valid. I just want to get your thoughts on it, guys. Yeah, I get, yeah. I get you. And thanks for calling in, Edric. Yeah, your po- you have valid points because you got to – and everybody wants to lay the blame somewhere for every loss. And there's, and there's never, to me, there's never the same reason you lose any game. You can go back and look at any six or seven plays of a game, of an NFL game, playoffs or otherwise, and say that's the reason, that's the reason, that reason. It's this player, that player, the other player. It's this coach, that coach, or the other coach. I get all of that. Um, Here's the thing. All those coaches you named went through the same process and the same escalating level of respect that Sean McDermott is in the midst of getting now, particularly like guys like Andy Reid. And for every guy you mentioned – I can mention at a point in their career when they were just like him. Yeah, and you say like uh, like like Kyle Shanahan. My my, I would submit Kyle. I don't want to play quarterback for Kyle Shanahan because never and only one time has he had a team where the quarterback would stay out of the hospital. And I say hospital facetiously, not in the hospital, but they're injured. Yeah, they're always hurt. His quarterbacks are always banged up. That's on him now. That's on him. So you can and, – and I get it. He's a really good coach. And I, and I wouldn't submit that anybody fire that guy either. But I don't want – I want to go to – I want to say this. If you think Sean McDermott has been only – let's say he's been way above average. But say he's been – as a playoff coach, he's only been average. Won a game every year, one playoff game. But he's also never been to the Super Bowl. So he's like average or maybe even below average. I still think 
This is a guy you stick with because he's learning lessons. And, and by his own self-admitted self-evaluation, which he's very transparent about, he's going to get better in those situations. Do you want to take a chance on a guy who may be better in those situations or a guy who has not learned the hard lessons that Sean McDermott and his team have learned over the last five years? I, think, I don't think so. I think I trust this guy's message and in Brian and rubbing up against people who know him and, and talking to him. So he's he's going to get to that spot because that's his goal. He's not done yet. And for whatever hard things we've all been through together, whether it's been Sean McDermott's fault, Josh Allen's fault, or Leslie Frazier's fault, or Brian Dable's fault, or Ken Dorsey's fault, or Brandon Bean's fault, my fault, Brownie's fault, whoever's fault that is, that guy's getting better. And he's making the most of the lessons he's been taught. So I, and I get it, while we've come, come up short and ultimately you laid at the feet of the head coach, okay, I want this guy because I know he's not going to do what he did then. You know, I know he's not going to make that mistake again or whatever mistake you want to point to. So that's, I, I want to go forward with this guy because he has brought us to the brink of where everybody wants to be, where we all want to be. And like I said, they've been good enough three years. And now that you're getting to these places where you're splitting hairs as to whether you advance or not, I want a guy who's been there and can get you right back to that conversation again. Let's take another shot at it. I want to take every shot I can. And this group with this head coach, this GM, all these guys, I want to be there every year, and that's where we're at. Because I know from my experience of observing other teams and the teams that I've played on and covering every team in the league, you got to get that. That's the thing. Because when you get there, every game is in and of itself, its own entity, and you use all those lessons, you, you take one more shot at it. You're not going to get there taking one big swing at the fence. I mean, you got to you got to get your give yourself as many chances as you can to get there. And I think Sean McDermott has proven that may be what he does best. Now you can say what you want about you know he can't take the next step. Well, I don't know about that. I'm just going to say I do believe he can get this team over the hump and to the big game and win the big game. Yeah. Now. That's just how I feel. You're questioning it. You have every right to question it because they haven't gotten there yet. Kyle Shanahan hasn't won a Super Bowl as a head coach either. So, you know, you, you can compare apples and apples or apples and oranges, however you see it. But I think he's good enough to get them to the promised land. Clearly, Terry Pagula and Kim Pagula think that as well after the most recent two-year contract extension, which runs concurrently with Brandon Bean. So, they believe they have the right people in place. I tend to agree. I realize that it hasn't been definitively proven on the field in the postseason yet. I think they'll get there, just the way I feel. we got to take a break here. When we come back, hour number two will begin with CBS Sports senior NFL writer Will Brinson. Had some interesting comments to make, and then it's right back to your phone calls. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio.
Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two here on a Monday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show of your choice. Thanks for joining us. Waiting to get in touch with CBS Sports senior NFL writer Will Brinson, also co-host of the Pick 6 NFL podcast. So we'll get in touch with him as soon as possible. But in the meantime, it's back to the phones where we are asking you who you believe will be the most important Bills defensive player of the 2023 season. And we lead off this segment with Jerry and Tonawanda. What do you got for us, Jerry? Hey, guys. A long-time watcher. I'm retiring. I watch you guys every day. Oh, thanks. Awesome. I think, yeah, I'm originally from Wyoming, and uh, not to brag, but I was the first person that wanted Josh Allen here when everybody else wanted You were, Darnold, you were the so. first. All right. Okay. I was. I was. I was. I watched him in college. All right. Anyway, um, back in the day, I was a huge Viking fan, and let me tell you, if we could, it would be over the top if we could have somehow get Coach McDermott to get Alan Page to talk to Ed Oliver or even better yet, come to our camp. I mean, he was like the first defensive tackle MVP of the league. He, he is like if to, to pick his brain and uh, teach Ed Oliver and the other defensive tackles up defensive line, uh, his, 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 his specialty, I think that would be over the top to get him. I'd love to see Alan Page come here and, and talk to our defensive line. That's what I think. All right, so you're so I'm guessing that to mean that Ed Oliver is the player that you think is going to be most important or defensively. Yeah, because yeah, because back in the day, Alan Page was was just quick as a cat. Nobody could stop him, and he would get so many tackles and stuff because nobody could block him. And so Ed Oliver has that quickness, and and if that if that if he could teach Ed Oliver a little something extra, uh, I think it would it would make Ed Oliver uh, that much better of a player. Yeah, you're right. Um, it it is a thing, I guess. Finger quotes a thing. And thanks for the call, Jerry. But it's a thing around the league for teams to bring in former great players. In fact, Sean McDermott brought in Luke Keekley to talk to. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds. Bruce was here. Uh, Bruce Smith well, comes helping in. Helping Greg Rousseau out when yeah, he first got Smith, here. Bruce came in uh, and has conversations with guys. Uh, you're right. Um, it's interesting, too. You said Alan Page, um, who, by the way, I got a lot of respect for as well. Um, it's, it's hard to – you're right. It's hard to find a guy that plays the position with the same physical gifts that Ed Oliver has. You know what I'm saying? Alan Page may fit that description, but Ed Oliver is – is a little bit undersized, a little lighter than most defensive linemen, so he's got to have a skill set that complements that and gives him an edge in a matchup, particularly one-on-one. So it's hard to find guys in the past who match up like that. Um, like I said, Keekley and Tremaine Edmonds kind of match up like that. Bruce you know, Bruce can match up with anybody and, and give him some insights because he's the best guy to ever do it. So, yes – it is a thing, and if there is a guy out there that Sean McDermott thought could help Ed Oliver like that, I mean, you can sure you can be sure he brought him in, and and not for nothing. That's why they brought Von, one of the reasons they brought Von Miller in. That's why they so they coveted him so much, and were willing to pay him all that money is because that guy's a mentor. So you're you're right on, Jerry. You're right. Bringing guys in who have played the position at a high level, and they did it with their what was between their ears as much as they did with their with their physical gifts 
it's a huge plus, and it's a thing around the league. So you're right. It, I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I'd, be, I'd be willing to listen to that conversation as well. So good on you. Let's uh, welcome in CBS Sports senior NFL writer Will Brinson. Glad uh, to get him on the line here. Will, thanks for joining us. How you been? What's up, guys? Sorry about that. Um, we had a, we've migrated from CBS to Paramount, and the uh, technology, uh, the, <laughs> the gerbils who run the technology department decided not to have my Paramount email work. Nice. The first oh, six well, there you go. Of this merger. So that's been that's been fun. Well, I'm nobody's glad been, nobody's I'm, yelled at me for that. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad we've go. we've ironed that out and we've got you here. And we should probably begin with some of the recent uh, quarterback rankings that you put together uh, <laughs> on CBS Sports. Obviously, we weren't surprised to see you know Josh Allen in the top tier with Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. My question for you is, how hard was it to tier the rest of them after that? Yeah, so, you know, these things, I've actually got, I think I've done like five radio hits a day, like I, they, uh, right. because people people want to talk about the tiers, you know, it's the slowest time of the sports uh, calendar. What happened was, unfortunately, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I know he's one of y'all's boys, but I'm going to throw him under the bus here. My boy, Chris Trapasso, <laughs> he was very nice. He tweeted out the, the tiers, but the problem is he tweeted it out without the name of the tiers attached to each tier, which made Kyler Murray see it and really think he was in the sixth tier. But the reason he's in the sixth tier is because the sixth tier is called No Clue, man. Because I don't know if Kyler Murray's going to play week one or like when he's going to come back and play or what the Cardinals are going to do. So the rest of them, my goal was not to say, all right, here's the three best quarterbacks. That was easy, the big three. The next was like, okay, I want an upside ranking, right? I have four guys in, this, in tier two who I think could viably, you know, they, they need to be young guys, some production. For whatever reason, they just didn't make that top tier. Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, which surprised a lot of people, but I don't think it should. Um, Jalen Hurts had a fantastic season. I just want to see him validate it. Uh, and then, uh, and then J Justin Herbert. And right. you know, Herbert, if the Chargers win twelve games, he'd probably be in that in that first tier next year, I would imagine. So, like of those four guys, it's could could make the leap into that top tier if everything clicks right or they validate the season. And then that tier three is sort of intriguing, but uh, question marks, right? Like Aaron Rodgers, he's going to a new team, man. Like for the and he's old. Like that's not guaranteed to work. Tom Brady did it well. Matthew Stafford did it well. Russell Wilson not so hot. Uh, threw Russ in that tier as well, just because of Sean Payton. It's interesting too because it's not necessarily about how good the quarterbacks are. Certainly the big three, Mahomes right. and Burrow. Yeah, they're good. Okay, they're elite, and they're in a, they've got a roster around them. It's kind of time for them to, you know, well, Mahomes already has, and Joe it's Burrow super, and Josh Super Bowl Allen. or bust for those guys, basically, exactly. every, like every year. Exactly. So, But the others aren't necessarily about how good the guys have been or are. It's about the information we have about how the season's going to go for them. And I thought that was a really intriguing way to break it down because you're right, and you get down to like, like, like tier four is you can win with these guys – um, right. But how exciting! It's like Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, Geno Smith, Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, and all those names kind of—they're all Sound equal, the same, don't they? Yeah, they're all equally uninspiring, kind of inspiring. Saying, "Okay, we got a—you know—we got a guy, right? Uh, like nobody's going to beat right. this guy out. He's our guy." Yeah, so, like, the biggest thing with Tier 3 and Tier 4 that people got mad about, and this is why, again, like, the context and the name of the tier and, like, the, and, and what the tier focused on was really important. People were like, how on earth can you put Daniel Jones ahead of Dak Prescott? You watched football before? Well, yeah, I have watched football. I watch it for a living. But Daniel Jones, we saw what one year Brian Dable did for him. 
And like you guys know real well what Brian Dable could do for a quarterback, right? And he did it right. really well in New York. He did a great job in Buffalo, and he did a great job in year one with Daniel Jones. Dak Prescott, to me, particularly with Mike McCarthy coming out this offseason and saying that Kellen Moore was trying to light up the scoreboard and that he wants to run the damn ball so he gets his defense off the field, which is like literally he said Kellen scored too many points, which is just a weird thing to say. But like I think with that change in offensive coordinator – and then year two for, for Daniel Jones in that Brian Dable system, there's more upside with Daniel Jones. Like, there's a better chance that Daniel Jones has this big breakout season. Like, Dak Prescott Dak Prescott could be a top like, 10 quarterback or whatever, depending on how things shake out. But we've seen Dak Prescott. We, we know what Dak Prescott is. I don't think there's another level that Dak is going to magically take his game to um, as they sort of shift the focus of that offense into the run game. So let me just ask you this, and this is somewhat of an interest to Bills fans because the Giants are on Buffalo's schedule this year. What do you think the next level is for Daniel Jones? Because as encouraging as his play was last year, he still only threw 15 touchdown passes. I mean, the guy got a $40 million a year contract throwing 15 touchdown passes. I realize the receiving core was down. There wasn't a lot to work with, but we've seen other quarterbacks do more with less. I mean, I still remember Ryan Fitzpatrick here in Buffalo with Stevie Johnson and a bunch of guys throw 23, 24 touchdown passes. He threw 15 touchdown passes. I mean, where is this? What's the ceiling? I mean, it better be a lot higher than that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, if he throws 18 touchdown passes, I'm not going to be like, ha-ha, I told you, tier three wins again. I'm, you know, I'm going to be like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe he's a tier four guy. You can win with him. I just think we saw him dramatically cut down on the mistakes. There was a moment during the season this past year where he threw a really bad pick, and he and Brian Dable were sort of screaming on the sidelines. But, like, you could tell that it wasn't, you know, one of those things that needed to be blown up into something bigger. It was Brian Dable saying, look, dude, it was a bad red zone pick. He was saying, look, he's like, I will give you all the tools you need to be successful, but just trust me and do what I do. Like, follow the plan. And I think as the weapons grow and as Daniel Jones grows into the system, remember, I mean, like, he had, um, I think it was Pat Shermer and Jason Garrett were his only two offensive coordinators, and Joe Judge was running the team. You know, this is, like, this is a guy who's had – has not been given a fair shake. And when he was drafted, people want to pile on Daniel Jones because he went six overall in the draft that Dave Gettleman took him. And it's easy, it's easy to make fun of, especially when he slips and face plants trying to run for an open touchdown. Um, I, I think that I, I don't know what his ceiling is. Like I would not, I would not expect to put him in a, into tier two at any point, but I think that tier three fits for him. And this season may determine whether he sort of slides up in that tier or whether he slides back into like a tier four as a guy you can win with. And you got guys too, that we just don't know enough about like, like Geno Smith, you know, who was, who disappeared for like a decade. (laughs) And then all of a sudden he popped up and was better than he's ever been before in in Seattle. And, and And certainly it says something about Geno Smith. I think it says just as much about Pete Carroll and what he knows about football as well. What about the situation Geno Smith is in? How do you see that evolving in Seattle? And can he do that again? Yeah. I mean, I I said, like, I think before the season, it was, everybody's like, what, what are the Seahawks doing? I I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, And then I kind of came around to the idea that Pete Carroll wanted to recreate essentially like 2011 and 2012 where they were, sort of winning rock fights, winning with the defense, running the football, don't turn the ball over with the quarterback. And then remember they won the Super Bowl, you know, before Russ was, you know, blew up into whatever weird robot celebrity thing he is now. Like he, you know, he was, he was, a, a, you know, he was a, a game manager. 
Marshawn Lynch was the focal point of that offense, and Russ would just not make mistakes. And when he, he, I watched him in NC State for years. He was great here. But when he jumped to Wisconsin, it was the same thing as Seattle. He had been – he is so efficient off of play action that when he was running that offense with Marshawn Lynch and he could take those shots down the field, they didn't need a ton of passes for Russ to be successful. And so I think Pete Carroll wanted to get away from – Russ sort of trying to become this MVP slash Hall of Famer by burnishing, bar, you know, uh, building on his legacy by throwing the ball a ton and get back to his roots. And Geno Smith fit that perfectly. Right. Switch into, uh, you know, some division prognostication. There are a lot of people that believe that the AFC East is now a three horse race uh, with mm. the Patriots, you know, loitering in the background. Um, do you believe it's a three team race or is it, is it, Cut a little bit finer than that in your estimation. Since this is an official team site, I won't. I will vaguely reference my thoughts on something in particular. But I said last year <laughs> that the Chiefs not being an extreme prohibitive favorite to win the AFC West was insane. People got way too over their skis on the Broncos trading for Russ and Devontae going to the Raiders. And then the, you know, the Chargers got Khalil Mack. Everybody did all this stuff. And Tyreek Hill gets out of town. And everybody on the planet wanted to pick somebody else to win that division. And now the same sort of thing is happening in the AFC East, in my opinion. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, right? Uh, the Dolphins have this great roster. But, I mean, seriously, a major question mark with Tua. Like, can he? is he going to play a full season? Should he play a full season? What will they do if he were to suffer another concussion? Uh, and then, of course, you have the Patriots, right? Well, I think the Bills are basically a uh, – I don't want to say water. I don't want to – you know, there's no Andy either. Like, I love Sean McDermott. Love Josh Allen. There's no Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's just a ridiculous combination, right? I think – but I think – they're a watered-down version of that, and people are really itching to fade the Bills this year and to pick either the Jets or the Dolphins, and I, I think it's the same mistake as the Chiefs last year. I think Buffalo's got great coaching, great quarterbacking, um, the whole Diggs thing this offseason. People, people just think like it's, it's like over in Buffalo or something like that, which is just preposterous. I mean, it's a really good team that were it not for Patrick Mahomes playing the role of the bad boy Pistons, Probably would have been like, you know, it's like the Bulls and the Pistons in the 90s, right? I mean, that's like, that's the problem. And I think Buffalo comes out hungry. They're not going to be focused on as like the number one Super Bowl favorite like they were last year. And I think they'll end up being uh, the division winner and, and maybe do it a little handily. Handily. Well, well, handily. Okay. I get that. Yeah. What about, what, how good, and I get it. I think it. it's a word. I don't, I we, don't know. Yes. I, 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 I tend to, it is a very whatever. good word. People and let's talk about the rest of the division. Rogers going to New York, and and we've seen it last year. It looked like and and probably was true. They were quarterback away from being a really really good football team. Um, the, they managed to beat the Buffalo Bills at home, uh, you know, in New York with Zach Wilson for goodness sake. And it looked like are they still that team? And will it look like that this year with Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I mean, I think that you take a look at this roster and you can talk yourself into this. I mean, there's a reason why the Jets are getting the hype, right? I mean, it's not entirely just like like silly fabrication on the part of, of the media because Rodgers went there. I mean, they have, um, you know, in Garrett Wilson, a legit number one. Alan Lazard, they paid $11 million to, but, you know, that, that helped to lure Rodgers in. They, you know, uh, Randall Cobb serves a, a, a function as sort of that slot wide receiver. Miko Harbin's a, a very fun player too. You add Tipman at center and suddenly – if the offensive line is healthy and lives up to its draft expect draft and free agent and, and cost expectations, 
then this offense can be really good. Brees Hall is coming back to that ACL. I mean, my boy Van Knight's still on the team. They got Michael Carter. Like, this offense can be really, really good. But there are question marks on that offensive line. You might have a rookie starting center with a veteran quarterback who is changing teams for the first time in his career. That is not a guarantee to be a successful formula. Makai Becton playing for a contract. Elijah, you know, I mean, like he can he stay healthy? That right side is really athletic with him, Elijah, Elijah Vera Tucker, if they're both healthy. And Dwayne Brown is not exactly young. He's a very good player. But like that offensive line to me, it, the assumption with the Jets being good is that the offensive line will be a middle of the road, bare minimum unit. And I think it has to be that if the Jets want to challenge the Bills in this division. Okay, so you mentioned the Bills you think could potentially win the division handily. Where do you have them coming in with with that division title one loss-wise? Let me see. I think my, again, my technology uh, operation here is not going well, but I did have the Brinson model. It's a proprietary statistical algorithm. Like it. Uh, that is just me picking each game and then adding up the number. Um, the, <laughs> but I, I think I had them going either 12 or 13. I think I had them either 12 and oh, 12 and five. Thank you. There we go. Uh, very helpful from your producers. Uh, 12 and five. I had the bills going uh, this <laughs> season. And um, I think if you look at the AFC East too, the schedule's like not particularly easy. I mean, they're, they're really good teams, but like, it's not going to be just a, a walk in the park for these teams, you know, right. for, for, for all four of these teams. I think the Patriots are actually going to be a little, a, a bigger problem than people are, you know, maybe giving them credit for when you look at, you know, I mean, just basically it's the not Matt Patricia at offensive coordinator uh, core of the theory that I'm operating with there. And of course, you know, you have that opener at the jets. That's a massive game. They got to play the Jaguars where they have a buy. Like they, the Jags will be in London for two weeks. So that's a, it's a huge travel disadvantage. Um, and you know, you have, like a lot of winnable games, but not exactly a lot of easy games at Eagles at chiefs. Like these are some great matchups uh, uh, for the bills. And for us as football fans, I think it's going to be just difficult with the way that the schedules lay out in the AFC East for any team to, to, I, I think the chiefs have a very good uh, slot for the number one seed because of how the schedules in the AFC East uh, plan out. Will, that's all great stuff. I appreciate you coming on. Your technology looks good from this end, even though if it was a little turkey, get turkey jerky, getting started, it's great seeing you, man. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for making some time. I know you're busy. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Anytime. All Take right. care. That's Will Brinson, senior NFL writer for CBS Sports, and uh, put some QB tiers together in advance of the season, as well as some yeah, division projections, projected record. He had the Bills, Bills at 12-5. and five. And, and with that hard schedule, Steve, you can understand that kind of a one-loss record. Yeah, I, I'll say this, too. I, his quarterback ranking thing, the thing that was great about it was, you know, you say one through seven tiers. It's not tiers like best to worst. It's about tears about how do you, you know, what we know about these guys and where they're at now and how they think the season's going to go. So it's not really how, how good a quarterback they might be. Yeah. And in some cases it is like, you know, with Allen Mahomes and Burrow and all that stuff and the, this, you know, and Jalen hurts and it's all kind of fixed for them. But the rest of it is about what we know about them and, you know, how we feel about these guys more so than their production on the field. Yeah. And, yeah, and whenever you, whenever you rank positions like that, man, you, he had to, his mentions had to be just off the hook. Well, especially when the, we don't know category was at the bottom and people just thought they were being ranked the lowest. Right. <laughs> right. They were actually just kind of, when they said, uh, and there was, no, the, the was last, a, the last two, 
the last two tiers of his quarterback, one was, hey, no clue, man. I don't know how these guys yeah. are going to do. Like Ty- Kyler Murray. He might not play for eight weeks. Yeah. You know, Sam Howell, Jordan Love, Baker Mayfield, and Desmond. Who's Desmond Ritter play for? Who is Atlanta. That? Right? I don't even know. <laughs> like, what do you – like, how, like, no clue. That's tier six. Tier yeah. seven was the rookies. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. So we'll see about those guys. They they they're like in a in a category unto themselves, which is why I like it. It's it's not just saying who you like better; it's describing them with it's the kind of a wait and see. Yeah, and it's it's a really good way to rank quarterbacks. Let's get back to the phones, though, where people have been waiting patiently. Who is the most important Bills defensive player for the twenty twenty three season? We go to Jerry on a cell next. What do you got for us, Jerry? Or on one Bills live. Well, I, I wish I had a name, but I think the guy that ends up uh, taking the middle linebacker position. And by the way, hi, Chris and Steve. Hello. Hi, Jerry. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I also want to defend John McDermott just for a minute. Uh, I just want to say, how many years was Andy Reid a head coach before he won a Super Bowl? Yeah, a long time. And, and when was the last time Tom Tomlin won a Super Bowl? And I've been a uh, a fan for Buffalo for the last 63 years, and we've only had four successful coaches: Saban, Knox, uh, of course, uh, um, Marv. Oh my God! Yeah, of course. I can't think of his name, but uh, Marv Levy, McDermott, yeah. of course, and uh, Marv Levy. And uh, you know, we're going to throw that away. I, you know, I, I think that's just you know ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I dreamed about having a team like the Steelers where my team was competitive every year. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's what I dreamed of. You're right. And, you're, uh, and you're right so about I, the, you're right about the middle linebacker spot too. And thanks for the call. But yeah, yeah. the, um, you're right. Um, and nobody, I, I, I'm certainly, there's been some people on that end of the spe- the very ultra end of the spectrum where they say, yeah, we should fire Sean McDermott and get better. Uh, I don't think too many people are out there. Uh, but I think it's it's fair. And Sean McDermott, knowing what I know about him, he's got big shoulders. If you got a pro- he probably is more critical of himself than any of the fans out there are, because that's the kind of guy he is. That's why he is as good as he is. I think it's I think it's right. Most people don't really understand or have a grasp of everything that falls on the desk of a head coach in the National Football League. And not all of it, most of what falls on his desk is stuff we don't have any idea about. And a lot of what he does and what makes him a good head coach is stuff he does when he's out in front of his desk, when he's out in front of his team and on the field and in front of his staff. It is an incredibly complex and difficult job. And as prepared as these guys are as coordinators when they finally get these big breaks as a head coach – no doubt, each and every one of them has a different set of lessons to learn about being a head coach. Brian Dable's going through some of that in New York, no doubt. Every, every coach does. Um, and if you're thinking like your guy is not where he should be, well, yeah, okay. I'm, I would submit that there's some guys maybe who have won a Super Bowl or been to a Super Bowl who maybe weren't complete head coaches and guys who have never been to hit Super Bowl, maybe been to a Super Bowl and lost it, whatever, have never won the ultimate prize, who were very complete head coaches and didn't get everything else they needed. There's a gazillion moving parts to being a really good NFL football team and winning games. But that holy grail, to me, at, because at some point you're going to grab that. You're going to get it. 
if you get enough shots at it and you learn enough hard lessons and you have a coach that has been through it and he's not going to make that mistake. And, and when they get there, he, he remembers right away. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not going to do that again. Let's go. we got a better plan this time. Let's go. Uh, and plus, and I hate to say it like this, but in that game, in that moment, when it's fourth quarter of a Super Bowl, two minutes to go, the ball bounces to you instead of to them. It, sometimes that's what it comes down to. And then all of a sudden, everybody piles on the winner and says he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and because that ball bounced the other way, your guy stinks, you should fire him. That's, that's the world we live in. And that's kind of what they sign up for. But I'm not, yes. I am not in that camp. I am um, with you know, guys like Jerry on the cell. Bro, you got you to gotta just go and do what you do and do it better every year. We will have to take a break here, but when we come back, we'll also discuss Jerry's point about the nameless starting middle linebacker. Is that the most important Bills defensive player for the 2023 season? We'll discuss when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Monday, and we've been asking you today to discuss the following. Who is the most important Bills defensive player for the 2023 season and why? Our last caller, Jerry on a cell, mentioned a couple of things, but the one we did not yet get to is the nameless starter at the middle linebacker position. Is that the most important Bills defensive player for the 2023 season? I don't know if it is, and the only reason I say that, Steve, is Look, maybe the Bills' hands were tied cap-wise and there was no chance they were going to be able to compete to keep Tremaine Edmonds. Right. In an ideal world, they would, I would like to think. Um, but that was, the, that was the player they decided to let go, if you know what I'm saying. Part of the reason why was because they anticipated his asking price would be too steep for them to accommodate. But at the same time, we talk about premium positions in the NFL these days. And middle linebacker is not on that list. It's usually quarterback, left tackle, edge rusher, corner, and wide receiver. Those are the perceived, anyway, premium positions. Now, that's not to say you don't need a good middle linebacker to be a successful football team. But I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, they better have somebody that can handle the job and all the responsibility that goes with that position, and they better be productive to some degree. Your middle linebacker is usually your leading tackler every year. But at the same time, the Bills are leaving it up to an unproven player at this level, assuming it's not A.J. Klein, to fill the role. Now, the coaching staff knows a lot more about the guys they have in that competition than we do. They see him every day. But... That's what they're going with in a go-for-it year. So is that guy the most important? I don't know. Well, let me go this. Let me say this. They extended Taron Johnson, Dawson Knox, Tredavious White, Matt Milano. Deion Dawkins. Steph Diggs, Deion Dawkins, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Mitch Morse, and, of course, Josh. You said Milano, too, right? Yeah. So they – there's a long list of guys. They t- now, those guys, some of them said, you know, I want, they got it done early. They took, you know, whatever. They didn't push it. They didn't go to free agency. But they, they extended all of those guys. 
whatever reason they did not extend Tremaine Edmonds, some of it maybe has to do with the position he plays, much like like running back, right? Uh, how it's getting devalued and guys are, you know, you don't have those big thumpers like the Pepper Johnsons of the world inside there, uh, you know, coming up and taking on guards and stuff. But I think some of it has to do with that. And I think it's it's not coincidental that the place where Tremaine Edmonds landed is a place that's notoriously poorly run and a place where they've had a history of great middle linebackers. All the way to Dick Butkus, Mike Singletary, Brian Urlacher, now Tremaine Edmonds steps in. Uh, it's, a, it's a club that I think at the tip top has some antiquated ideas about how to build a roster. That's where he lands. I don't think that's the same philosophy they use here in Buffalo. And I think they had a number that they would have given Tremaine Edmonds. And I think they would have loved to have had him stay, but it's not 15 million plus a year. Hmm. And I think it's that simple. All these other guys, they got and they extended. And I think Tremaine and his representation were probably smart in letting him hit the open market because Milano, Dawson Knox, Taron Johnson, certainly Diggs, Deion Dawkins, they're all making good money, not elite money. And they're very happy where they're at. And I think a lot of those guys, I think, take it for granted. I, I don't, it, it takes a lot of intelligence to say, no, 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 no. I got a good thing going here. And got a coaching staff that believes in me. And I've said this over the last couple of days. I said it to somebody. The one, the one aspect of a player's career that every other player in the league respects, the one aspect of every career that is, when it's all said and done, gets the ultimate seal of respect and approval by other players around the league, regardless of where they played, is longevity. And I think these players who signed here realize their best chance to have a long and productive career is here in Buffalo. Where they're also going to win. And they're going to win. They're really going to win. Let's uh, get to the tweet sheet. Got to crack that open here before we're off the air today. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Madlaw says the correct answer for the most important Bills defensive player for 2023 is Josh Allen. The Bills... And any contender will need to outscore top-tier teams rather than shut them down. It's an interesting way to look at it. Um, I get what you're saying. And if you go back to the Super Bowl, it's hard to argue. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles had the number one sack defense in football. 72 sacks last year. Didn't matter. They lost, what was it, 38-35 in the Super Bowl? A great defense, and it didn't matter. It, it just don't matter. You're right. And at the end of the – where were we at the end of the season? When the Bills were sitting at home and they, they you know – They were talking the about Bengals, weapons. <laughs> the Bengals scored exactly what their average was for the entire year. They, scored, they averaged 26.5 points a game during the regular season. They scored 27 against Buffalo. It's right at their average. And they advanced. The Bills don't because they scored 10. We always felt, and we said it a ton, it was an arms race. I don't, you know, nothing's changed yet for me. I, I think you're, he may be right that you're going to have to score some points, and particularly when you get to the end of the year. When you get to this quarterback and that quarterback and the other quarterback, you're going to you're gonna have to light it up. And I think 
that tweet is a reflection of that. Tiffany on the tweet sheet says, a healthy Trey White help, helps lock down half the field, allowing our pass rush just enough time to disrupt the opposing quarterback. I'm telling you, Steve and I have both saw it. He looks like all pro Trey again. At least he did in the spring. I would anticipate the same in training camp. And if he's back to all pro level Trey, that changes the dynamic of opposing passing games precipitously. And then if you take it a step further with what Steve said at the top of the show about Kyrie Elam, and if he takes another step and wins the starting job, you have two first-round corners potentially locking down the top two passing options from the opponent, and now they're going to their third and fourth option more often. And, oh, by the way, you got a top-five nickel corner in Taron Johnson. Yeah, so that's that's where you got to be. And I – um, that's why I said at the top of the show, Kyler Elam is really the, the important guy for the Bills' defense. If because it think about it, if it was balanced and Tre'Davious White and Kyler Elam were equally as good, and, and you and I have said we don't know how Ky, how Tremaine or Tre'Davious is going to play, but it certainly looks like he is himself and back to his old self. I mean, he you can just his body language, his demeanor. His attitude, everything is just completely upbeat and right back to where it was two years ago. You can just tell he feels great. And that's, to me, is a great sign of where he's at in his re- recovery from the knee injury two years ago and, and where he never seemed to quite get to this last season. Uh, Tafaha on the tweet sheet says, Groot, if he takes his game to the next level, Greg Rousseau will help out the secondary incredibly. If he can affect the quarterback on a consistent basis, our defensive line will be formidable, even in Vaughn's absence. Yeah, I mean, I've said it a bunch of times on this show, and I'll say it quickly here again. Year three has been a breakout year for a lot of players on this roster in the past. You know, whether you're talking about uh, Dawson Knox, um, Taron Johnson in year three, there's a long list of players who have really caught fire in year three of their careers. Spencer Brown and Greg Rousseau are two players entering year three, and I think there are high hopes that both of those guys' games will reach critical mass. And if it does, now you've got a three-man rotation of proven quarterback pressure guys in Rousseau, Leonard Floyd, and Von Miller when he returns. That's a heck of a rotation. Not to mention you can kick Rousseau inside, put Floyd and Miller on the edges, and – Sit him next to Ed Oliver and say, go get him. Yeah, who cares who you kick inside? But you get those three guys on the field at the same time with Ed, and you got some guys that can really scoot. And even if you do get a guy like like Mahomes who can get out of the pocket and start to run, there's three of those four guys that can outrun Mahomes. So that's <laughs> that's big. Um, and in a league, I get it. I mean, we've talked about all oh, it's a throwing league, throwing league, throwing league. So you got to have a pass rush. you got to have athletes. you got to guys – but if this club, there's, and, and it's like this for every club, but this club really was deficient in these last year. Not deficient, but substandard for an elite club like they were. They turned it over too much. They dropped too many passes. And their pass rush was good, but not great. And without Von Miller, their pass rush dropped completely out of the top ten. In those seven games, Von Miller was out last year. It dropped off a ledge. Yeah, precipitously. So, if you get those three things right, this club becomes wow. Yeah. Even a way better than a 13 and 3 club that only lost by three games by eight points total. So 
Um, if you, this team takes a step forward from that spot because they can just fix their own little, little loose ends, goodness gracious. Break time for us here. Some final thoughts on the tweet sheet when we're back here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, back here on One Bills Live. Only got a, less than a minute to tell you. Uh, one of our loyal listeners of the show, Rick, drove all the way in from Perry to deliver these to us. Uh, we all know what Steve says on the show all the time about the Bills when they get to the playoffs. They just need to play well on that day. Well, apparently he said it so much. The guy put <laughs> it's been put. The guy put it on, on a, t-shirt. a T-shirt. You need to play well on that day in quotation marks. And it says Steve Tasker, one Bills life. Thank you. It is. Uh, it is officially a thing. So now, Steve, you just you know for our TV viewing. Play audience, well on that day. You just hold the shirt up, and you don't have to say it anymore. All right. That'll do it for a Monday edition. Steve and I will see you tomorrow at one.